and three, two, and we're recording. Uh, so welcome guys. Super special episode today. Um, as you could see by the title of it, I brought my mom in to talk to us. Um, you know, who better of a wealth and knowledge or source to take on the world than starting with the person who brought me into this world. Um, so a huge reason I wanted to bring my mom on is I believe she has a fascinating story of life. She grew up on a farm and then went to college to become a parks and recreation um, major. Would that be what it's called? A parks it's and Rec- parks, recreation major, yeah. park and recreation major. And then went on to help start um, the convention center in Pittsburgh. And I believe she had probably the it's hard to say who's the most important, but, you know, went on to be the sales and marketing director um, of the convention center. So if anyone wanted to bring something into Pittsburgh, they went through her and, you know, I'll, <laughs> I even kind of poked her to get some stuff going at some point, but we'll get into that. At, uh, we'll get into that. So without further ado, the lady who brought me into this world, mom. <laughs> oh, what a pleasure. So thank you, Clayton. Thank you for letting me be a part of your world as you go on to the next step. So it's been fun um, after all these years and um, years of education and, and schooling and to see what you've been able to do with your life and how you have such a strong vision and commitment to the future. It's exciting. I appreciate it. Well, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> start off pretty hot on the emotional uh, roller coaster. Let's start it off with um, before I came into this world. Um, I mean, what's it? What's it like growing up on a farm? How did how did a farm shape you into wanting to become a parks and recreation major? Well, it's really kind of those ironic stories. I guess nothing just starts with. Uh, point A, then point B, and then it happens. There's right. a lot of in between that goes on. Um, in high school, um, there was no question that I had to go on to college. So I grew up in a very strict Christian family. Um, my father, we actually moved to a farm when I was in seventh grade. My mom grew okay. up on a dairy farm and said that she'd never go back to a farm, but she fell in love with your grandfather. And, um, he was an industrial engineer and worked for a major company in a small town in central Pennsylvania and, um, had a hobby that he always wanted to go back to a farm. Well, growing up on a farm with an industrial engineer, it was always, how can I make it better there? My father always kind of was on a tractor doing something recreating the lane. There was a, like a quarter mile lane that went back to our farm. And what do you mean by like connecting your farm to the road? Yeah. Connecting it. So he was always deciding a better way for the lane. Well, once you start pushing off the gravel, you have mud. So it was always a contention in our house of how much mud was in the house. And so growing up in the farm, we were about seven miles from, um, downtown and, uh, which the town was 10,000 people. So it wasn't all like we have now in a major city. Um, So being in high school, I always wanted to be in with my friends uh, in town to hang out and have fun. So I knew I always wanted to be in town, not out on the farm. And so there was always challenges with my dad who was strict and wanted us to work on the farm a lot. Wanted you to help. and So I had a very strong work ethic to get things done because that's what you had to do. um, Right. So that, that was just a part of life. Yeah. 
it was the only way you could kind of like move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that's going to be kind of a theme throughout this, but we'll uh, the, it might be. let's it not put the cart. Be. Let's not put the cart before the horse. <laughs> um, so farm. So the mud contention you like, was it just that like the, cause I, I've been there and it's just a straight piece of land that's between your house and the road. Um, he wanted to get rid of the gravel and so it just became muddy. And then, well, there was actually a, he had to go over a Creek. And so there was a, okay. a small bridge. And so then part of the lane was lower than the other. So he thought he needed to build it up. And so, um, then when you do that, you got to pay to have limestone brought in to put on the top. And that didn't always happen till the spring. So he had yeah. mud. Yeah. And so then just <laughs> so much for washing the car. Right. So do you think that, that the, uh, I mean, I mean, you grew up, I guess you didn't really grow up on a farm, but you were there most of your, I mean, is it most of your memories then are from the farm? Well, probably like a uh, seventh grade when, when we were in seventh grade, I had an older sister, younger brother. We all got to pick our animal that we wanted. My oh, right. animal was a goat um, that I got to have, but it was a beef cow farm. They called them gentleman farms. Okay. Cause he worked from nine to five, um, as an industrial engineer and then came home to feed cows and fix fence posts. And so he would just go to work, come home and then just keep working on the farm. Keep working. There was no like in between, no in between. And I think something that this kind of leads to and that we talked about was, it was kind of like, I, I feel like with your parents' generation, maybe not your parents specifically, if, if it is say so, but it, it seemed like they kind of, you know, a part of having a kid was just so that they could be another set of free labor almost. I think if that was your livelihood um, and you grew up on a dairy farm, not the gentleman's farm okay. it, for my dad, it was a hobby. Okay. Um, you know, that, that it, be, it was work maybe right. to you, but to him, it was a hobby that he loved doing. And, you know, he leased out land for them to harvest it and things, but he enjoyed working outside and do, being with nature. Do you feel like he pushed that? Well, that's interesting that you say that because my next question is going to be, do you feel like he pushed that hobby onto you? It could be. Um, I don't think my father ever just picked up and hiked through the mountains, though. Um, my major was parks and recreation resource management. So at the time, in the mid-70s, you could pick a track, whether it was community leisure, therapeutic, recreation, or resource management. So okay. at 18, I wanted to save the world from the people destroying it. Well, that's, a, so, that's an inspiring vision. Yeah, it was. Something I think everyone, at least most people can relate to, you know. Um, it, but so then I guess that's an interesting thing. Like when I think parts and recreation, I mean, I guess there's a, when you get down to it, there's a difference between doing parts and recreation and a farm, right? So what all, what were kind of like, I guess, in the class structure of what you did in parks and recreation? I mean, it sounds like you went hiking a lot. <laughs> as a major yeah was that <laughs> was your major to go hiking <laughs> you know uh no my i had forestry so like i how to maintain a forestry there was park maintenance of how to maintain a park what are the best trash cans to buy so not only do people use them but how do you empty them and really? then where do you how do you empty them during the day when people are using it in a, a efficient way but it's funny you say that. It made me think. Um, um, one of the things that I always thought was important, whatever you do, you do with all your heart and you go for it and you make it the best. So it, it hence made me a good worker, very 
um, in tune listening to bosses and, and, and getting through school was right. part of that too. Um, so I was part of the Parks and Recreation Club and they had a, we had a t-shirt design. It was purple with like a white um, silk screen on it. And it was a picture of a car with a moonlit night with a boy and a girl in the car. And it said, let's park and recreate. <laughs> I came home. My father was livid. Again, I mentioned about being a Christian. Conservative. In, uh, yeah. He said, is that what I'm sending you to college for? Is to park and recreate. <laughs> <laughs> so it was one of those um, heated moments. My Well, he wanted you to go to college. So, you know, be careful what you ask for. Right? I know, really? <laughs> really? And, and my whole family went to the large central Pennsylvania college. Um, and Penn State. Penn State. Yeah. And, uh, um, Penn State had a great recreation program, but there was only one other Pennsylvania college because one of the things my father was sending me to college, but I had to stay in Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, travel wasn't quite in the seventies, wasn't quite what it is today. Right. A whole different story. Right. But, um, you know, I kind of had to smile when you had Kevin Love on of your, one of your episodes earlier and how he started his career, um, it's kind of your, your family does mold you in the environment that you're in. So maybe my dad did mold me a little more than I knew to yeah. do outdoor, <laughs> but oh. I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. Oh, uh -oh, the pup. And there it is. <laughs> <laughs> the pup knew the same thing. She's on the guard. <laughs> um, but let's go back to, uh, oh, what were you saying about park? Oh, there was only two parks and rec, um, colleges you were saying in, in, uh, MPA. So, um, you know, did you know that you didn't want to go to Pencil Penn State or did you want to go to the other one? Oh, well, um, my grades probably weren't good enough for me to get into Penn State. Um, at the same time, um, my whole family was going there. I wanted to do something different. I always wanted to be kind of my own person and I kind of maybe pushed the limits a little bit more than my father would have enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's probably something there where, you know, like you get told to do one thing enough times. You want to do the opposite. Yeah. You try to whiplash mm -hmm. back and forth. Yeah. So then, you know, like we're saying here, um, so you, you went for parks and rec. Did you, was it a great decision? Did you enjoy, like, would you do it all over again? Boy, that's a million dollar question. Uh, sure. I had a wonderful career. It's not a normal path of how somebody would get to where I was. And, um, but it was um, great education, and um, I enjoyed my four years. Well, let's let's move to what let's. I mean, that's excellent that you're able yeah. to do it. So let's yeah. move down. Let's keep moving down the timeline, okay. right? Good. You then, like, what what happened when you got out of college? And was I don't really know what the job market would have looked like for Parks and Rec. Like, does that involve you signing up for like a national forestry? Do you get involved with um, you know just like local parks, state parks? What is the well, the options were open at the time. Um, probably mm, hiring professionals in the park and recreation world probably happened in the early 70s. So I was kind of like maybe at the end of the bubble. So there were four month jobs and six months jobs available um, after I graduated. So you've okay. got to do something else besides just in the summer months working at um, a campsite. They were U.S. Army Corps of Engineer facilities that I worked at and... Um, uh, you, you, 
it was very hard to get a full-time job. Right. They, they, they went in GS levels and, and so they just weren't available. So I had to find other jobs because it was important to make money. It was important to sure. be successful. And I think what was really important um, was to continually build your resume because you, you, you didn't want to have a gap that you didn't show that you were excited about working in the world. So do you feel like that kind of came back to the fact that your dad always wanted you doing something or oh, was that, yeah. Do you think it was societal to always never have a gap in your resume? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a societal too. Yeah. They can never just yeah. like take a break oh, and think no, about no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can see you kind of yeah. like revolt. Whoever's listening is kind of like pulling back <laughs> the thought of that. Well, you know, some of that is, is, you were at that time 22 years old and it was, it was time for you to probably in my case, it was, you know, why didn't you find a husband in college and you, right. know, you should have been married at this point. And my father would always tell the story of, of my one neighbor in college. Um, her father said we were successful. She graduated with her MRS. <laughs> and for who, what does MRS stand for? For Mrs. Misses, you know, she yeah. got her misses in college, so she found the man of her dreams in college. Well, and that's a crazy thing to think about, too, because it feels like um, or my sister went to a school in the South, and it seems like that's still like, and that's not like a taboo thing anymore. Like nowadays, like to me, that's like crazy that, you know, you go to college to find your husband. I mean, it still sounds like that happens like in the South to this day where it's like, well, I'm just going to college so I can find a successful guy to just, you know. I, I guess set up with. Um, it maybe does happen um, that way, but I think women have come a long way since. Well, yeah, the 60s I'm not. And 70s yeah, I'm where, not trying to. Know, they look for a career too. Um, right. But you know, if you want to have a family, yeah, um, you know, it's it always helps to have a husband. Well, it certainly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows? Uh, engineering is scientific. Engineering is getting pretty uh, advanced nowadays. But yeah, yeah. regardless. Um, yeah, that's interesting that that's like kind of, and I mean, you know, to your point, like there's more pressure, maybe biologically and socially, where women kind of have to figure it out sooner than men do too. Do you feel like that was a thing in your life or maybe I'm just? Um, I, I don't think it was a thing in my life. I never had the pressure to get well, here, married. How about we, to... we could view it this way. How do you, do you view that your dad would have treated the idea of marriage? with you versus your younger brother? Well, uh, you know, my, my father was very traditional. My mother did not work. Um, okay. And she felt her job was to take care of your grandfather. So um, your grandmother was very much a wonderful homemaker and um, she worked in the garden all the time and um, just grew wonderful fresh food and, you know, would freeze it and can it and that sort of thing. So, um, I, I don't think it was ever told that I had to be married to be successful. Okay. I, I never got that from my father. Okay. No. Well, that's, that's yeah. You know, I guess that's good for, yeah. I mean, I didn't, we did, I didn't get married until I was 32. So, um, you know, there's a lot between 22 and 32 yeah, for sure. building my own career because I was selfish and I, I wanted, I wanted it all. And I partly think I wanted to prove to my father that I could be successful with uh, let's park and recreate uh, nature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, so let's get back to that then. Right. So you're out of college, out of college. you've got a park and recreation ma uh, major. Right. You are 
now you can't work. You can only work four to six months right. with that okay. major. What else? What? How did the jobs roll in that you're able to supplement the other? What is that? Six to eight well, months. Uh, I worked in a record <laughs> store um, um, for two months during the holiday season, and then the office supply store needed help. Um, and so a small town, everybody talks, and it's right. I, it was like, hey, give Debbie a try. And so I started selling office supply to the lawyers and to the businesses in town. I'd go around with like my sales book. It was before computers. Um, yeah. It was before the internet. So um, I was personal and I was always, uh, people enjoyed being around Debbie. So it was kind of, That's uh, for it, sure. you know, I always had like people would open their doors when I came because I was talking about the weather and well, you how great always... the day was and, yeah, I mean, I can see that still today. I mean, you still have the positive, like, you know, optimistic viewpoint. You're still go out of your way to help people, you know, more than, you know, anyone else I think I've ever met. And <laughs> I'm not just saying that because you're my mom, but oh, thank you. I mean, you know, thank out you. of everyone I've met, you know, everyone kind of has a smile or they have something to talk about when they come up to you or, you know, they're always engaged, it seems like to talk to you and you think that, and that was probably something that you had before when, you know, walking around with your sales book. Well, and, and the first thing, whenever this office supply store became available, um, I was like, I'm not a salesperson. I don't want quotas. I don't want to do numbers. I don't like numbers. I don't right. want to do that. And it's like, no, you'll be great at it. Do it. And I was great at it, you know, so I did very well. But then uh, May came along and the parks and recreation job opened up again. So I went back out to Ohio Okay. And did that, um, did that for the summer months and then worked in Youngstown, Ohio at a spa, um, decided I did that until Thanksgiving and said, Oh, this isn't for me. So, um, I came back home. Hmm. I don't think I worked then. You had a gap in your yeah. resume. Oh, you know <laughs> at that point I realized it was about my resume. I had a very weak resume and I needed to do something because I really wanted at that point to be the cruise director on um, a ship. Really? Uh, the recreation cruise. I thought, oh, wouldn't that be fun? Oh, oh my word. It was all like about fun. Yeah, sure. You know? I mean, do what you love, right? Yeah, do with your, you know, what, what you enjoy. But then I realized there was only probably like 25 of those jobs available in the whole world. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't really realistic. And then I had a friend who worked for the Pirates. Um, okay. And she lived here in Pittsburgh. And, um, I said, well, let me see what I can find. You know what? Um, I need to go to the tourism agency that represents um, all the hotels and, and what's going on. And I can figure out then what job title, because it is about a job title. I would imagine even now when you look for a job, it's not as simplistic as cruise director or I guess it depends, person. right? That's an interesting point. I guess it depends. There's probably a couple ways to look at it. The one I guess I am, if, if you're looking actively looking for a job, there's like a title that would associate like, you know, for me, a computer, I come out with a computer engineering degree. If I'm looking for a title. It's going to be like software's engineer, mm -hmm. electrical engineer, you know. Um, <clears throat> but I guess how old are you at this point in your story? I would have been like 23, 24. 23, 24. I think there's probably a certain point though, like especially if you're charismatic like yourself, you light up a room, everyone's happy to talk to you. You know, everyone leaves your presence feeling better than when they left. I feel like there's an element where 
and just what I've noticed is like you, people want to, you know, help you and help themselves. So, right. So it's like, I can utilize your positivity in my job. And so I think to what you're getting at in your story is there's an element of like, oh, well, she has just like this mixed bag of information and intelligence. Let's try to create a position for her. I don't think any job was actually created for me. I, it was more, I had to adjust when I went in. I okay. mean, back then, I mean, jobs were very strict. I mean, you worked in an office, you worked nine to five, you had to dress for it. You had to have a look for it. You know, it wasn't right. as casual as it is today. Oh, it's super casual now. Yeah. Very. So then I guess, well, then let's go back to the, the story that kind of sent us down here. You were saying though, that you had a friend with the pirates mm -hmm. and she was, or when you said job title, was it you trying to figure out what job title you should be like pursuing? It was. And, you know, um, keep in mind, you know, I think every child wants her parent approval. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I'm in the back of my mind and what was being said to me when I was living at home. So those time periods, I was always living at home because I didn't have money to have an apartment or the stability to live on my own. So, um, Pittsburgh was close to where I grew up. So uh, I was able to come there in a car, drive. Um, everything I owned was in the backseat of a car. Yeah. And um, I was able to to um, volunteer my time. Um, I was collecting unemployment also. So I was able to volunteer my time at the tourism agency and uh, get experience and start to meet people and one thing kind of led into another and I'm in sales again, selling the city, uh, for meetings and conventions. So it, it like, was people, yeah. people believed in me. And, and so you think you like brought out that inspiration in people or was it more like, what, like, how do you kind of view that? Right. Like, you know, you kind of first saw sales as not something you wanted to be in. And then it kind of just, seems like it kept showing itself to you. Like people just kept saying, Oh, you should do this sales. You should do this sales. I think it's probably being young and not having a lot of confidence. I think when you're young and you have confidence, the world's at your fingertips, yeah. you know, um, once you get confidence, like you can tackle anything, Yeah, you know, there's nothing that's impossible. No, nothing's impossible when you believe in yourself and then you have people around you that believe in you, they it, kind of yeah. mold you. It sort of just spreads off and then you get like that rest. You get the, what is it? They'll like echo back to you because it's like you believe in yourself. So they believe in you for believing in yourself. And so then it sounds like it has kind of that reverberation almost where then it just amplifies itself. Yeah. And you know what? I, you're bringing up a memory. I can remember being at a convention because if you sell to conventions, you go to conventions a lot. And I can remember um, a person on a panel saying, that he, he was an influential meeting planner. And he said, I like to do business with my friends, the people I know and I like, and I trust. And I sat there thinking, here I am 25 years old. How do I get to know him? And how does he trust me? Right. So I learned how to play golf. <laughs> really? <laughs> was he a big golfer? Uh, he wasn't really a big golfer, but the crazy thing is that when you play golf, like people trust you right away. Really? Yeah. I don't think we've ever played golf though together. Well, you're my son. It's not about, <laughs> it's not, that's not the same. It was like 
when you get up at six o'clock in the morning and are and on the links and you're teamed up with four people for right. the four days and then and four not four days the full day right and then you're you're having cocktails and a party at night and then you see them the rest of the convention you, you automatically get friends like 144 friends right just instantly it's just, just instantly like, like really? if you click off your cool really oh yeah huh that's interesting i mean it makes sense you know because and here's something interesting i always thought about with golf is it seems like it's kind of that game though where everyone kind of knows what's going on right and it it shows your true colors right you know if you kick the ball a little bit you know if you're going to count oh, a stroke no. yeah so is there like any situations where you playing golf you could pick that up off oh, of other absolutely. people I can. I have a person in my mind that it exactly happened. Please, you want no, to share? No, no, I won't. You share. can't keep it ambiguous. St uh, he still lives in Pittsburgh, so I. I uh. wouldn't say that. But, uh, I'm telling you, it's like if you're. A they said they would say if you're a cheater at golf, you're a cheater at life. Really, I mean, it makes sense. You know, it's one of those things that you like. You have to accept your flaws almost. And you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen this because, like, how I'm not sure exactly how you met Kevin, but when you you guys acted like such a good friends. And even though you only knew each other a year, somebody you knew introduced you to him. Right. And, and, and I think what I'm maybe trying to point out is partly your connections and, and that's how you make friends. Um, because I did play golf and I became instant friends with these 144 other players because they recognize you from the golf course throughout the convention that you're at. Then it's like, Hey, you know, here's Debbie. Have you met her yet? And right. you all of a sudden are part of the group. It just keeps opening doors yeah. for you. Or it's like yeah. one just doors just keep opening in front of yeah. you. Yeah. So then what was, so if you were at 25, whenever you said to yourself, I'm going to learn golf, right? Uh, you know, what was the process with learning golf? And then how did you get to being the sales and marketing director from there? Well, I, I can't say golf. Really did. It's, well, it know, opened yeah. doors for and, you. And, and I wasn't was really puzzle. probably. I, might, I probably was like, uh, if we're looking at timelines, I might have been like twenty nine thirty when I actually learned to play golf. Um, I was given really small jobs. I was um, a housing director when you again it was before computers. So if you were going to a city to attend a convention, you'd send in a reservation form. Somebody had to process that and assign you a hotel for these big conventions that would come in. So I did that. Um, so that way I got to know the hotel business. And okay. so it was kind of like, there's nothing better than learning a business, I believe, than working at the ground floor. Right. I, you know, I think it would have to be very hard to come in as a CEO in, if you never were in a manufacturing company or. Right. Like you kind of need gonna... to know like how everyone does their jobs. Like right. well, how do the laundry people do it? How do the cleaning people do right. it? What's the bellhop do every single day? Why do you have check in at 11 o'clock? I mean, check out at 11 o'clock, but you can't check in till four o'clock. Well, that's actually a great question. Do you know the answer? Well, you have to clean the room. Oh, <laughs> I guess that's a pretty good answer. So, I mean, it becomes very logic. I mean, yeah, you're just like, yeah, just like, oh, yeah, of course. How many people kind of push the envelope and say, oh, can I stay another hour? You know, yeah. my flight isn't until one o'clock. I don't want to leave the room until 12 and the hotel right. wants to be nice. And so or you they get there an yes. hour or two early. It's like, hey, I know I'm early. And then if they're accommodating, so they probably only really need like an hour, right? Because then the two hours on the other side of it, or what did you say, 11 to four? So they probably try to clean the room at like one. 
but you only have so many maids right? or housekeeping, you know, to do that. So I, I, I don't know what the number is these days, but I mean, it used to be, I think one person in their shift could only clean 10 rooms. And so, how, how long would that take? Well, it all depends on how dirty the room is, but at least an hour. An hour to clean 10 rooms. Geez, so you got to have to have quite a few maids per one hotel. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I never realized like it would only it would take ten out ten time, ten rooms an hour. Hmm. Wow, because you got to do everything. No, no, right? no you're, you're not doing ten rooms an hour. Ten rooms a shift. Oh, ten rooms a shift. Mm -hmm. So you're saying about one per hour, one mm -hmm. every forty five minutes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, so let's not. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But, yeah, but we're getting I, down I think, the rabbit hole. No, but yeah. I think what you're pointing out is every industry has its little things that you have to understand right. when you're building a budget and you're working. And so, um, again, I, I did a good job at housing. And then, and then I had a boss that said, you're going to do state sales. So I'd go to Harrisburg. Well, what's What's state sale? Um, it was like the Pennsylvania medical association or, um, you have national associations, state associations oh, okay. and local associations. Right. Um, like the so. Pennsylvania association of X, Y, Z. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then, so then where, what is your title and what are you doing at this point? Right. So in my mind, right. You were 25. Um, and then you saw this guy, you were like, all right, I got to learn golf. You don't learn that till 29 ish. Right. But when are you, when do you have this job and well, what is your job? The state sales. Um, if you're a state association, you just travel really to maybe like four or five destinations in Pennsylvania that are large enough to take care of you. So, okay. um, it, it was sales, but it was pretty easy sales because everybody wanted to see you because you're a Pittsburgh. You're a great city. It's, they knew it already. There wasn't too much education that I had to do. So, okay. um, I'd call Harrisburg and I'd get a full docket of people to call on very easily. Well, so who are you working for at this point? Was it a hotel? No, uh, the tourism agency, a tourism agency. Was mm -hmm. it like, uh, the Pittsburgh tourism agency? It was called at the time, the Pittsburgh convention and visitors bureau. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. So then, their whole, the entire organization, the Visitors Bureau, was to get people to visit Pittsburgh mm -hmm. and to just drive in tourism. Spend money. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Got spend money in Pittsburgh at a fundamental mm -hmm. level was their mm -hmm. goal. And so then your job was is to go out to um, the big, let's say, state organizations, which would have been in big cities, I'm assuming like Harrisburg, Philly. No, just Harrisburg just because Harrisburg. they have lobbies. So they, uh, they go to the state capitol. Gotcha. 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 There were some in Philadelphia, a lot of medical. Thing, right. But you, know. but you didn't really, that was kind of out of your, mm, out of your was, way. Yeah. You, you, we were, we were assigned territory. So Harrisburg was my territory. Gotcha. Did that for two years. And they said, you're going to go do Washington DC. And I said, Oh no, I'm not. That's major. I mean, that's. So that would have been a big bigger. step up. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I then said, would you, no. so then really? Yeah. I said, I liked my job. They said, no, you're gone. You're doing too good for yeah, Harrisburg. You're not doing Harrisburg anymore. Go. Well, so then you would have been lobbying, let's say, or you would have been trying to sell to lobbyists at, you know, at a national level. Right. right? You would have to get to Pittsburgh. So then saying so you said, no, you were like, I want to stay with Pittsburgh or Harrisburg mm -hmm. at the state level. Mm -hmm. What, I guess, what influenced you firstly to not want to pursue that? Uh, a pay increase. <laughs> they didn't. There was there, there was a big paying. Oh no no no! But what? Okay, what were the pros and cons? Let's say then. Um. Well, uh, you, now you're competing with all the United States. Did you're you not, not want? Did you 
not want to? No, that's intimidating. I didn't have the confidence. So, you know, it goes uh, back to I didn't okay. have all that. And then there's a there level, there's just like a level of confidence difference, right? And it was much harder to get appointments because back then, I mean, I'd like to think now Pittsburgh, no, people know that Pittsburgh is a wonderful city to visit and it's yeah. gorgeous. Um, back then, they still thought it was kind of smoky and still all oh, it was here was still. It might mouse. still be. It might still have that because there have been times where I've talked to people and they're like, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh, and they're like, oh yeah, I visited there. Like, you know, it's so cool. Like, I didn't really expect it to be what it was. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so I think there might still be some of that stigma that it's like, you know, this smoky. And there's right. definitely like the pillars and the town to prove it, where you know you see that like the back half of them are still covered yeah. in ash. Yeah. And, yeah. A lot of character the on them. Stacks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so then how did your boss react? Let's get back to your story. Oh, no, no, with the Pittsburgh okay. plug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Visit Pittsburgh. Visit Pittsburgh. Visit Pittsburgh. Visit Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, so how did your boss react when you were like, nah, I'm good. I think it was really simple. He just said, uh, sorry, there's no discussion. You're going. And so then I did it. Oh, so you did go. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And then how did that, how did that play out? Um, well, that's where it became harder, you know, and I harder. had to, I had to work really hard to get in, but it would be, um, meeting people like in casual settings and, um, having other people introduce you. And that's where the golf came in then. Gotcha. Okay. So let's get back to the timeline. Yeah. At this point, you're 29 then. Yeah. You're about 29. Yeah. And your job is to be the national liaison for the Pittsburgh Visitors Bureau. Uh, national sales director, the national sales director for the Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. um, visitors bureau. And so then you are now going to Washington DC. Right, right. How often? Once a week, every day, once a month, once a, once a month. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to create all these connections. Was it mostly you, um, emailing people or, um, was emailing even a thing? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no. Not to date yourself. No, you still had letters and you still had letters. Type, you had to type letters okay. and carbons and things like that. So what, um, real quick, what's a carbon? Oh, you want a copy of the letter. Oh. So you put carbon paper. Oh, Clayton. I can't believe you don't know. Okay. <laughs> it, it, when you would well, type I've heard the a phrase letter. carbon copy, but I don't. Yeah. You put a piece of carbon paper. Do you know what carbon paper is? No. It, it, would it make like an imprint or a mold of it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, I, and it would print. So it was, uh, sorry, carbon people. I don't know exactly, but it, it, it was either blue or black and it was just solid. So when the, the typewriter T would hit it, um, we, it would imprint on the paper that was behind it. Really? Yeah. So it was important because that was before maybe electric typewriters too, you know, electric typewriters probably were there in the uh, late eighties. Yeah. They would yeah. have been, they would have been that there. The electric typewriter was in the eighties. Do you think everyone's hearing? Yeah, the they are. Arc? No, yeah, they're definitely sorry. hearing her. Yeah. yeah. So she's like dead and not even, <laughs> you guys can see her on YouTube. It's not even like nothing's even happening, but she has to bark. <laughs> <laughs> um, she probably looks like a leopard. Like yeah, a leopard. Right. Like a, yeah. All right. Yeah. She should be good. Um, so carbon, so carbon copy, that's where, that kind of came from yeah. was actually like you would put a piece a of paper, carbon paper. Yeah. Car you put what, carbon what? paper behind the paper to make a copy of it. Now, what would you do with that carbon paper? Uh, put it in a file. So the file would uh, say okay. the Pennsylvania association of XYZ. And, and that way you would keep record of what you did. So now my understanding of carbon though, is it's like a black, 
So, but you were saying it was black or blue. Yeah, it would be on an eight and a half by 11 right. sheet of paper. So, you know, the whole thing um, would have had that. So it could make the imprint. But it would just be an imprint then. So was mm -hmm. it hard to read? Um, no, because it went on onion skin paper. <laughs> what is onion skin paper? <laughs> I don't know if it really matters. But um, you would have like a nice linen um, piece of paper that you'd write your letter on, type your letter on. Okay. Because we had secretaries back then, right? right so secretaries right. did all the typing. Secretaries would do that. Um, and the onion skin was just the paper that you can hold up and see through. Okay. And so it's a real thin piece of paper. So the, the black or the blue would really oh, stick out. So it's kind of like the paper was used as a, like a lens to see. Yeah. That's interesting. But it would only last maybe like 10 years. But it didn't matter okay, after yeah. that. I after mean, that, that you was don't need the... news, yeah. Well, so let's get back. Yeah. <laughs> so much for the carbon. So that's carbon <laughs> coffee. That's why the word carbon coffee is a thing. <laughs> um, okay. So where were we at in the timeline? 25, you were like, I got to play golf. You yeah, were I'm in essentially... DC because I, I got to have new customers all the time. Well, this is 29. Time... You're learning golf at 29? Yeah. Okay. And um, let me see here. The, the What I did before then is... Uh, I met somebody who said that there was a bowling league um, on the last Tuesday of every month. And I go, really? And it's like of all the meeting planners in D.C. who and most of them were single at the time. And of course, at the time I was, too. So sure. I said, how oh, can I come? And so I was the only kind of out of towner that wanted to play, wanted to bowl with them all. Right. So, again, it was meeting someone on a casual basis to do business with them in the future. So it. So how, so and now here's, here's what I'm interested about, right? Where, like, where's the level of like uh, being genuine, right? Like you generally want to get to know these people, but then where's the line between like, you know, you know, you being genuine. Like I genuinely want to get to know them. I genuinely want to play bowl. I would genuinely want to bowl. I, you know, genuinely want to get in there versus, well, I'm just doing this for me to get a like up to make money. Well, I think that's where they realize, do you honestly believe in what you're selling? Yeah. You know, you, 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 in sales, nothing would be harder if you did not believe in your product. Right. You've really got to believe in your product. So you truly believe Pittsburgh was something everyone needed to yeah. a place everywhere oh. and everyone needs to come and visit. Mm -hmm. You truly love it, loved it or still love it as much. Oh, I still love it as much. Still love I, it as much. I mean, I still live here and yeah. you know, I got the brainwashing. You got, you got brainwashed. You got brainwashing. You love this. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I still see 412 everywhere I go. Yeah. You know, the numbers just appear. I was talking about that in my second episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Which is going to air. I mean, it would, it, people aren't going to really know, but they'll, they'll have heard it before. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, I, I talked about 412 a lot in episode two. Oh, and okay. so, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting how, you know, you bring in like the corollaries of like, I see it everywhere kind of now. Well, you know what? And I think that's sometimes what professional sports do. It brings out a city pride. Oh, yeah. Well, you know? it's you even know? more so, I think, in Pittsburgh than anywhere else. Well, because it's an older city. And, you know, the population True. was much bigger 50 years ago than what it is today. So there's a lot of grandparents throughout the country that right. send that spirit nation or the Steeler nation. Well, that's um, the funny, that's it. the funny thing is if I meet someone, I'm like, I'm from Pittsburgh and, or at least they know I'm a Steelers fan. Yeah. 
Um, it's, oh, I'm a Steelers fan too. It's like, are you from there? They're like, no. I'm like, well, was your dad from there? And they're like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or grandma. grandma. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, it just kind of, and- yeah, you yeah, just kind of, yeah. you know, there's something, yeah, there's some, I don't know if they put something in the water here or like something has to be <laughs> that there's like this pride that comes around being from Pittsburgh and a part of Pittsburgh. Well, the first winning all the Super Bowls that they did. So, you know, it certainly helps. I know the Patriots are there as a well, challenge. I'm going to have to mute that. Okay. That sorry. <laughs> Believe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But let's, let's give it. Let's, okay. let's fast. So, so no. So I think probably the bowling had me realize it. Then the golf and hearing the, the people talk about, you know, that, that people want to do business with people they know and trust, which as, as I say, that is, I think how hard it must be now. I mean, I'm retired now. So, um, you know, how do you sell now without using the computer? Well, it's inter- yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, it's, and it's kind of difficult, right? Because so many th- everywhere it's like, and there's actually a comedian that has a funny bit about this. It's like, you know, it's no longer you're going to company X. It's like, no, you're going to company X so you can support hungry kids in need. It's like, it's like, there's kind of like always a story or you're supporting something else. It's not, it's not about the product you're buying. It's the fact that you're helping like these kids. It's like they almost, and it's not everyone, don't get me wrong, but it seems like a huge, yeah. It's like, you know, what, what are we, how are we giving back? It's like, that's what people want nowadays. That's like, such a huge driving thing. And I mean, it comes back to the spirit that you kind of had with like wanting to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I believe it's in the right place, but I think that, you know, has a huge element to it now with sales and selling. Well, hats off to them that they're finding a way to get somebody to pay attention to their product a yeah. little more. I, I, I think sure. that the amount of information that we're all given, it's really tough to, figure out what is truthful and not, you know, oh, that's, yeah, that's happened to this whole, yeah. this whole last, you know, 10 years. I mean, the internet really, I think we started that ball, but I think in the last like five, 10 years, it seems like it's amplified that well, I mean, from your perspective too, like how, you know, I, I'm coming from my generation, but you know, based on your generation kind of coming through it, like, how is that? Like, it's kind of hard to ask you your perception on it. Cause you only have your perception. Well, I think what I'm amazed about, and even when we've been driving around, you're, you're quick to put in your GPS. Um, I told you about being a salesperson. Well, you know, I'd either take the subway in DC or the Metro, or I would rent a car because things were in the district, but they were all in Fairfax or they were in Arlington or Alexandria. So I had to get around. There was no entering in an address to say at 11 o'clock I'm in Alexandria I need enough time to get to Fairfax by one o'clock for a lunch, you know? So you, you had to look at an old fashioned map that you'd get at the AAA store right. and you'd measure how far it was. And then it would say, all right, that's 20 miles. All right. I probably can go 30 <laughs> miles an hour, you know, or whatever. And you'd figure out on your own that you, you have so many things right in your fingertips, right in that telephone of yours that, well, I even remember when I was a kid. So what I would have been like under the age of 10, we would look up MapQuest and then print out the directions on a piece of paper because it wasn't even. Well, MapQuest was before. Well, I, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. That, but that's my yeah. point is like, yeah, even yeah. then I remember the difficulty we had. So I like can only imagine, you know, what, like, how does that kind of, 
you kind of have like a mental, did you like just become really good at figuring out timing or were you always like super early? Like how did that kind of play a role? Well, that's before cell phones too. So if you were running super early, you had to find a phone booth and you had, I always had a lot of, well, originally it was a dime and then it went up to a quarter. I had a lot of quarters in my pocket because I had to call and say, look, I'm running early. What's your schedule like? You know, or it, it was also part of the conversation. Uh, I would write it in my notes, like they have an appointment an hour before me or an hour after me. So how much time do I have? Um, so to you know, meet up with people. And then if you were in a good appointment, how do you get out of that appointment to get there on time? So, I mean, it's, there was just a it, whole bunch it's of... the day in the life of sales. It's just, it was a lot more complicated oh, because yeah. you had to look at a map. There was no, um, one on GPS saying, all right, at the red light, turn right. Well, even more so now you can just do a video call with it all. So it makes it even more just kind of, I would, I, I would write down like, just as I would, if I got the appointment, I would write the directions from where I was beforehand. Okay. But then you're stacking it, you know? So then all of a sudden, you, two days later, you talk to somebody who lives close and you want to try to get them at the same time. Yeah. You know? so, right. Right. I don't know how we're on this, but you know, know it's talking just, about the internet and how yeah. no, I was just curious your perception of the internet. It's fascinating that, well, I mean, you know, that's how it relates to your job and the, the there's GPS. more information in there than yeah. you can ever imagine. It more, we, make life easier. Yeah. We didn't even need that much information to get to the moon. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. You would think that's just a straight shot, but <laughs> well, don't they say there's more, um, computer um, bits in your phone than right. what took you to the moon. Right. And that's just like, yeah, the process, it might've been like five megabytes or something like that of what they used to get to the moon. Is that what it was? Yeah. And we, if you have five, meg you're not doing anything with five megabytes. Like I don't even know some pictures you can't even have. Doesn't five that megabytes. scare you? What do you, what is your thought on that? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, right now we're going through a semiconductor shortage. I'm not sure if that's mm -hmm. like wrapping itself up, but that could be a huge pain point. I mean, it's good for me when I sold my car, it like increased the value of it pretty substantially, but you know, I don't, Someday I don't, you're going to buy a new car. Yeah. So maybe someday. Yeah. We'll see. Plane first. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but no, to your point, I mean, it's like, there's just other problems that then arise. Now we have to worry about semiconductors, like yeah, going do. on a shortage. And, you know, there's like the idea of Moore's law, which is like, everything's going to double every year to year and a half, but we're hitting a certain point, I think where you're not able to fit enough bits, like on in a certain surface area. Cause like a huge advantageous is being able to get the bits really close. I might be going over your head right now. You could see it in my eyes. Yeah. Could you? <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're running. We're running. <laughs> There's not enough space between atoms is essentially what it comes down to yeah, for them okay. to collide. But okay. um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's all about it. Let's get, let's get back to your timeline. <laughs> we okay. might've gone down a rabbit hole there, but and no, it's, I mean, I, it, it really relates your experience with sales into what people go through today with the internet, you know? And I think what's kind of crazy about it, I mean, here we are uh, 2021, but I mean, we're, this is back in, you know, 1990. Yeah. You know? Um, well, yeah, the internet would have, I think it would have just written the first code for the internet in the nineties. I, I think it was in 90. I, I came, the 80s? I came back from a convention and I said to our financial person, I said, 
Sandy, you're not going to believe this. I just found the most wonderful thing and we've got to buy it. It's, it's just phenomenal. It's going to save you so much money that you won't have to overnight packages anymore. It's called the facsimile. And <laughs> she's like, what? And I go, you can put this piece of paper down. You know, you can it was a fax machine. It was, it was a fax, fax machine. machine. Yeah. Yeah. You had to do that. So, then, I mean, yeah. the you know, does anyone fax anymore at all? No, no, I don't no. think so. You can scan documents. Maybe that's be it, the use of it. I think it used to not be considered legal. Really? Yeah. Why was it illegal? Um, because you could maybe manipulate it, you know, or, oh, or you, you could, like know, alter like text digest. and whatnot. Yeah. And so therefore they didn't accept it as like legal. Right. Right. That's interesting. I never knew that. That's amazing. Um, well, we digress, yeah. right? Yeah. Modern technology. All right. Let's go back. Let's go. Let's, let's summarize where we're at in your timeline. Seventh grade, you moved to a farm. Oh. <laughs> let's go back to the beginning. Okay. Seventh grade, you moved to a farm. You then realize you're going to go to college for parks and recreation. Um, you can't work it every hour of the day. So then you're, or every day of the year, half the time you're at parks and right, half the time you're finding sales position. You then find a sales position. And by the age of 29, you're the national director of sales for the Pittsburgh Visitors Bureau. Um, you're going to bowling leagues, you're teaching yourself golf in the name of selling Pittsburgh to people, mm -hmm. which is pretty crazy to think about that. That's like a pretty like, you know, it's fun. Yeah. You it enjoyed was it. That was, was fun. You yeah. enjoyed every minute of it. Every minute. So now where's the transition from national sales director of the visitors bureau to the sales director of the convention center? Well, um, uh, I fell in love and got married and then had three kids and it became very difficult to travel. Oh, that I was much. one of them, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so, uh, it was, I, I needed to find more hours in the day to be at home and not travel as much. Well, I appreciate you for um, making that sacrifice. First of all, that's not a sacrifice. Oh. It was a way to continue with my career, but just not do it out of town. Stay in town. Do Stay it. in town. So did you feel like, I mean, obviously sales is the same, but what, what were like some big differences maybe that you saw between the national sales director and then being the Pittsburgh convention center sales director? Well, you're, you're actually, um, responsible for, um, making the event happen. Um, so there's a little more pressure there. So it's not um, just making the sale. You kind of have to do all the operations in between. Um, well, it was, you, you were the one that sold it and promised things. So you worked very closely. Uh, there was a convention service department in a convention center, also operations, which are amazing people. And they, um, make sure that whatever vision a meeting planner has for big events that they happen because not all of them are the same and um to achieve their goals there's different ways of learning um when you're an adult and uh whether you have a trade show or whether you have um um elephants coming in or whether or not yeah. <laughs> you have the president of the united states coming in it's 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 a major undertaking and um maybe kind of like how we talked about the maid sometimes it's all hands on deck because it's a it needs people to help direct the 5000 people that are in the building make and, sure everyone's on the same page and yeah. everyone's doing what needs to be done i mean we've all been in situations where you're walking with a large group of people around you and you don't know where to go um, right so you want to make the experience as as, as wonderful as possible right because you'd give tours of the convention center mm -hmm. then too you would mm -hmm. be taking people like all right this is this area this is that area 
when I when I worked for the Tourism Bureau, you didn't get down to those nitty gritties of like there's a general session for 5,000 people or you, you just knew it overall. You didn't really know what day or anything. You were just right. selling the, the concept and the idea. Right. This is actually selling the space itself. Okay. So that's cool. That was cool. Yeah. It was cool. It was a brand new convention center and it was gorgeous and it is gorgeous today still. And it was um, part of the, the lead movement. So with us green building, um, oh, okay. Right. Cause you had, like uh, the G20. Oh, and then the G20 summit was yeah. actually at the convention center. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have, I mean, I guess you had the big, <laughs> a big role in making that happen. I did. Uh, I worked with the, the state department, but at that level, I mean, you bring the GM in. Um, so, okay. you know, it's, it's everybody again, that's kind of on deck to make it happen and show the commitment that we could handle the leaders of the world to right. come into Little old Pittsburgh. All right. Which yeah. is pretty crazy in itself to yeah. have the leaders of the world came to, came to Pittsburgh at that point. And then I know there was also where Major League Baseball decided to bring the All-Star game to Pittsburgh. 94. In 94. Mm-hmm. So you would have, was it 94? 1994. Was there another one that I'm thinking of? There was another one in 06, I believe. 06. Right. 06, because 94, yeah. would you have been at the convention center in 94? Yes. Oh, okay. So, so you were there with, for both of them. Uh, yeah, I worked with Major League Baseball and bringing what was called FanFest. FanFest had maybe only happened a handful of times before that. Oh, right. And that became like a yearly thing, mm -hmm. right? Where mm -hmm. it was pretty cool. As a kid, <laughs> she did a good job with that, which where it was like, you know, you would go and FanFest was like basically a huge Pirates promotion piece where you would go, they would have like batting cages, there would be... Um, I remember there was like an announcer kind of thing where they videotape you mm -hmm. announcing like a play-by-play yeah. -play, right. and then they give you a VHS <laughs> or they give you like a VHS was, yeah. thing and then you see some of the Pirates players walking around and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 I remember that. That was cool. We'd always take our friends there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then with the, with the um, all-star game, did you like what, what all with the convention center, did you guys have a hand in making it come to Pittsburgh or was it, well, we did because, you know, they wanted to do FanFest. So a portion of that, I mean, it, it, that's where it really does take a whole community because you got to have the hotels. Right. Because you got to have enough hotels for people to sleep overnight. And so the hotels have to be on board and excited for it. You've got to have a facility that is large enough to hold what Major League Baseball wants to do in there. So they're the ones that are deciding the announcer um, video that you said and right. what type of technology is needed to make that happen. And does your building have it? So there's all that little nitty gritty to figure out. Of course, the pirates had to want to host it. Um, Cause you know, that's right. of course when you had um, home, um, home run derby. Yeah. Home run derby and the all-star game itself. So there's, a lot of components that the city has to do to make it successful. So it's like checking the box to yeah, make sure crazy. that a city has it. So, And that kind of ties into what we talked about with Kevin Love, where it's like all these little things need to kind of come together that mm -hmm. then like you see it on display for, you know, you just see the baseball game or you just see the home run derby, but you don't realize how many little, and we were even talking about this with the maids. So you don't realize how many little things need to happen Absolutely. under the covers that make this two hour production or this, you know, the home run derby two hours and then the game three hour productions, you right. know? 
Well, even kind of crazy. Were you here in town when Bassmasters were here? I want to say yes. And they they were fishing on the three rivers and um, we called it like Bass Fest. You know, the the convention center was kind of turned into the same thing as like baseball, but only for fishermen instead. And then the arena um, at the time it was at Civic Arena, PPG wasn't built yet, um, was where the weigh-in was. So it had to be able to allow trucks to come in and um, with their fish and, and yeah. have a large amount of people watch and celebrate yeah. the catching of fish. And I just have, which is pretty crazy to me because the uh, three rivers aren't the cleanest rivers in the world. No, but they are enough are to they? have bass. Oh, I guess so. I, I guess they've I didn't come, even know They've that. come a long way. Yeah. They clean them up quite a bit. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember, um, did the did the convention center have anything? Or did you have anything to do with that? Cleaning the rivers? Well, I just knew you. <laughs> nope, <laughs> not not literally, I guess. But I knew you did a lot of like green work with the um, with the convention center. There was like the green operative at the G. Oh, G1. Like green, G1. Yeah, yeah. Green first. Green first. We, uh, uh, let me think here. It was called um, the Recycling Council, the National Recycling Council. We hosted their convention. And, and part of that was, you know, what did you do with your waste? And all right. of that was really important. And um, it was through that idea that we said, you know, we do so much that's green at the convention center. We should call it something. You know, everyone goes with acronyms, um, right? especially in the convention world. Um, but I think you also do it um, in uh, um, business, too. So G1 seemed to make sense. And that's what just flew off the tongue. Yeah. Green first. And so I'm thinking about it now more, too, is like this is where it probably came in your parks and recreation <laughs> Um, your parks and recreation background, because then, <laughs> excuse me, okay. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you good? Yeah. We okay. can take Thank a break. Yeah. No, we're good. We can pause it. We're good. Just kidding. We're still going. Uh, where were we? Uh, your parks and rec come back in. Oh yeah. Because yeah. you also were, you know, I, the way I remember is the G1 and the other thing would have been the Monarch Butterflies. Mm-hmm. And you were a volunteer. I was a volunteer. You helped. Yeah. Was, um, that was with, um, the Western Pennsylvania Conservancy, which is wonderful. They, they were very supportive and we had planning boxes on top of the convention center. And it's like everything we do is um, to put green first. And so we had these planning boxes and at the time it was coming out, how the monarchs were becoming extinct because they were losing their habitat in Texas with wildfires. They couldn't come there because if you don't know, monarchs, um, hibernate in Mexico. I mean, there's one forest which would be wonderful. Can you to go visit. through the? Can you go through the whole pattern of like uh, where they're the forest they're at in Mexico because they migrate quite a bit, right? Right. They go all the way up to Canada. So they 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 spend their winters in Mexico and then they they start the migration of um, going through Texas. So you've got to get through Texas right. before you kind of get up through the north and you go as far as is in Canada and then they loop around and come back. Like right now, you'd be seeing them in Pennsylvania in, um, in, in, in August and September is about the time because they're working their way back to Mexico and this one force. So it's it's one of those wonderful things that nature does. And it just keeps like kind of doing in the it. cycle. And so um, with the numbers depleting, it's important that every one of those little butterflies, because here's the crazy thing. Uh, the butterfly that started in Texas, yeah, it's like sixth generation that comes back really so they, they go through they, six they, yeah and they, that's all within a year span yeah 
So within a year, they go through six generations of monarchs. Well, there might even be more than that. Really? Yeah. We, we could always Google it and find out. But wow. That, now I'm forgetting kind of how many generations it is. But it's um, it's really it's more than um, you can imagine. But so that that's just it. It's not uncommon. Maybe um, you know the salmon, the same thing. I mean, it's it's that butterfly only lives maybe a couple weeks before it lays eggs and becomes a caterpillar and um, starts its journey all the way back. Well, I don't want to make too many like uh, clicking sounds, but yeah, I think that's pretty crazy um, because then I know you can update them on the next episode. Yeah. We'll give them uh, well, here's the monarch butterfly. They go through four stages during one cycle four mm -hmm. four generations in one year, four generations, okay. according Six. to monarchcommunities.com. So we'll just assume that they're right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the four, so they go through, well, four generations in one year, four stages, and then there's four stages of the monarch butterfly life cycle, which is egg, larvae, aka caterpillar, which looks like a green guy, mm -hmm. um, and then a pupa. Well, yeah, and what was important in our planning boxes is that we wanted to attract the butterfly there to lay their eggs because um, the only food that the caterpillar will eat will be milkweed. And okay. so that's why milkweed is so important. Um, so then on the, on the top of the convention center, you just had all these planter boxes of milkweed? Milkweed and then uh, special flowers for the butterfly to be attracted to. Okay. But we even looked at, is there a danger to bring butterflies into a downtown location? I mean, yeah. we don't want something to happen to them because we attracted them there. Right. But, yeah, um, you'd have to like, but it was all, all good. All the naturalists yeah. were good about it. Everyone was okay. Yeah, everyone was like, okay, the butterflies can come to the city. So, um, yeah, so pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So yeah. we were a part of that. And then, um, the, the neat thing is, is we were, we our plants, we put an irrigation system in because it's very hot on top of the, um, convention center roof. Um, we, uh, took some of the plants and then put them over in uh, Mickey's rocks. All right. So, um, their, um, community, organization um accepted that so you know it, it gave them kind of a path to go down the ohio river that they can even go farther i mean i don't know if you're seeing it but i am seeing a little bit of uh industrial engineering coming through with all this <laughs> <laughs> you know um i think it's when you know when you come home and you'd say mom where did you put the peanut butter i found a better location for oh it. my you gosh know? that drove me crazy as a kid yeah, yeah. yeah. i know like yeah. i always found a better place for it no, yeah. the place that I don't know. And that yeah. came from my father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, at least just tell me where. <laughs> we, we got past that. We've, we've made it past that. Uh, oh, okay, good. That issue in our relationship. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. We know to tell each other where. Oh, more yeah. Stuff yeah. I think, right? Uh, if not, you ask. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, searching for things was never really my specialty. No. No. Mm. Well, we don't have to. <laughs> I'm sure people aren't too interested in all that. Um. But yeah, so I mean, we pretty much made it all the way through your life. I guess here's one question I have for you that I've never asked you. Um, what was, what is it, what's it like being a, a mom? Like I, sorry to get graphic for some people, but like, you know, we had a pretty intimate relationship. The fact that I kind of was grown in you for nine months. I'd say that's intimate, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty mm -hmm. like personal, mm -hmm. you know? Um that's something I will never experience nope. having. So is there, have you ever tried to explain, could you try to explain what that's even like to a guy or to anybody? You know, it's so funny. Um, 
I was pregnant and doing a site inspection of the city. And there was a, an emergency doctor from UPMC that was part of the um, emergency physicians, doesn't matter. He said to me, what is it like to be pregnant? Is it painful to have babies? And I go, you're a doctor, don't you know? And yeah. he said, well, he goes, I don't know. And I go, I would imagine it's more painful to get shot than to have a baby. <laughs> and he said, he goes, no, getting shot doesn't hurt at all. He goes, because he said it, it cuts off the nerves, uh, you know? So, yeah. um, there, there is a pain, but it's one of those pains that it's having a baby is so blissful. You forget the pain. And what pain are we talking the entire process? Like from, Oh no, I was talking about birth itself. Oh, just birth. Birth? No. I, was the, I was actually just, I was starting a little bit before that. Okay, no, <laughs> I know that's painful. Gonna... I can see it on the face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're I just meant like, you know, like yeah. the mental, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about like more like the mental thought process of another kid, another person is growing inside of me right now. I think it doesn't come to life until you feel the baby move. And so it starts like, they, they, yeah. And okay. they start moving their arms. They kick. They stretch their arms when you're farther along in your pregnancy. You can even see like the arm move on your belly. You know, you can say, Oh, look, there's a foot, you know, to and, do that. Like kinda... and so I always kind of pictured it more as like an alien, you know, really? I, I, you know, I thought it, this is like an alien growing inside you. Well, there's certainly enough movies where they have like aliens coming out of the stomach. My girlfriend thought she was pregnant with a baseball. You know, she is what she said. She'd have dreams. And it was like when she delivered, she thought it was, going to come out of baseball. You really? Know? Yeah. Is that like a fear? Or? I don't know. I think it's just kind of what it feels like. Maybe. It like just feels like you have a baseball kind of in your stomach. Yeah. For me, it was a little bit more, you were pretty big when you were born. So, um, you know, it, near the end of the pregnancy, I mean, you, your legs swell. So you've, you've had probably that experience when you're there. It's you put on additional 50 pounds and everything's just a little bit harder. You can't tie your shoes. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you need help for things. You, you need like help around. Yeah. I can remember being in a um, department store, and usually when you want to get through a tight space, you turn sideways to get through. Right. I can remember doing that, but I was so much wider than that, I couldn't get through. You couldn't even I turn. That hindered my shopping. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, is that what this has been the last? You try to make up for it? Oh, that? maybe. Oh, you mean because I shop now? Yeah. Maybe. I feel like every maybe. time I come home, you're always like, hey, you want to go shopping? Like, <laughs> um, I, was like, I was thinking about how that, that story you told me about the guy. Like, I don't, I mean, what, first of all, what oh. was your like relationship like with him? Oh, uh, he would sit, I was the driver, and he would sit in the front seat, and we were going around to different hotels. So, oh, okay. that's when I worked for the tourism bureau that, um, his convention would just fit in a hotel. So I was kind of the driver to make sure he got to the hotels that okay. he was supposed to see. So, gotcha. um, what, what happened a lot of times is the person would say, you know, what do you think? Do you think this would work? You know, and they, you know, go right. through what their right. objections are. So as a good salesperson, I was always overcoming what objections they might have. Gotcha. Well, so the reason I was going to go back to him and bring it up was, um, I, I find it interesting. Like, that's a question that I wouldn't, I've only ever asked you that. Like, I don't really ever plan to ask, you know, another person, like, what's it like being pregnant? Um, you know, so well, I, you'll ask your wife someday. Yeah, yeah, probably. I don't, maybe, I guess, you know, I hope so. I'm sure it'll come back up. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the point I guess I was trying to get at is, were you, how about this? Were you asked that a lot? Because to me, that story kind of 
is almost a testament to you being like an open kind of, you know, there's almost a non-judgmental person of conversation, right? Anyone can kind of come to you and just say whatever's on their mind and ask you whatever's on your mind and you're willing to explain to them. Probably because all of a sudden, not only are you a female, but now you're a mother. Right. You know, and so I think doesn't everyone, you hope everyone trusts their mother, right? Well, I mean, you know, I, you hope, right. But I, I think it's, it's difficult. I don't, I mean, I've certainly seen my fair share of, let's say parents in general, mothers. I mean, it, you know, I think there's a level of, I believe everybody wants the best for like their kids or whatnot, but you know, there's a level of, it's hard for people to do that. I mean, you know, I remember when I was a kid, there was at least points where you would ask me things I didn't want to tell you the honest answer about. Cause I didn't want to hear the, well, because remember that the um, the hoodie that I got in Italy, that there was even a picture of me getting, and I and so what happened was is me and my friends we went to Italy in ninth grade. We um, a couple of us bought these Italy zip up, zipper up hoodies, and I I know that <laughs> hindsight, I know that I left it on like the boat between Italy and Greece, and then when I got home. Um, my friend's mom like was like, Oh, like something about my hoodie or bringing up my hoodie. And my mom was like, well, I don't think Clayton brought home a hoodie. I don't think he bought one. She's like, no, he did. And then they found a picture. And I, I think I even like, I even went to the extent of lying that I was borrowing someone else's. <laughs> yeah, you didn't tell me the truth because you didn't want me to know I that you lost it. Yeah, I didn't want to hear oh, the, that. you wasted money. Why did you, like, why are you so <laughs> reckless with money? So it was easier for me to just say, <laughs> no. Is that an scar of some kind, do you think? Uh, it wasn't a, I, I guess to go full circle with it, I was trying to just lay out that, you know, the, the trusting their mother. It's like, you know, it's, I know in the, at the root of everything, you want the best for me, right? But at some level, it's like, well, I just, I didn't want to hear it again. So it was easier for me to lie about this hoodie as opposed to being honest and being told again, like the value of money, the fact that I was irresponsible. It's like, I just don't want to hear that. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Maybe you didn't want to disappoint me. Well, for sure. I mean, that yeah, goes back to yeah. what even you were saying. Yeah. Kids don't, don't want to, dis- want to I don't want to disappoint your parents. Like, I you know, you guys sacrificed a lot. You sacrificed a job and... You know, and I guess you don't see it as that, but you at least took a step back, I believe. It sounds like in your professional career to have me and to start a family. So, I mean, you know, I don't, obviously I'm looking at it very conscientiously now, but as a kid, I mean, I think that's just kind of, you kind of understand it, but you don't fully grasp it at a certain well, point. I think children are pretty self centered. Well, I mean, we have to be kind of like, yeah, we're very, survival, maybe. it takes and us 18 so years in theory, yeah. at least 16 years to kind of know better. And even then you, you think, you know, everything. And that's probably the worst thing, you know, maybe not the worst thing, but it definitely kind of sets you back a little bit. Like, because, you know, you still think, you know, everything, but then you start realizing you don't. And then that's where I think you start hitting that point of like, Oh, You're probably right. yeah, there was a, um, I know uh, a buddy of mine, he was telling me a story about a high school teacher he had who he always would say he never thought he knew as much as he knew when he was 18. He never, let me see if I can remember that right. He never thought he was as smart as he was when he was 18. And it's like, you know, it's like, oh shit, you're right. Like, you know, you're just, you constantly learn more about things and realize. That you, there's a, I think as you do get older, you realize there's so much you don't know. You know, right. we, when you know it all, 
when right. you're 16. When you're right. 16, you know it all. And so I'd, yeah. I'd agree with you, right? There's a childish element of thinking you know it all. And therefore, you, if you know everything, then you're God's gift to earth, right? And therefore, everything should just warp to your will, you know? So I, so I guess there is probably an element of being child, like selfishness is a childish act. But is that kind of what you're saying or... Am I I missing it you know what I'm also thinking, and, and maybe you even have a perspective, of, if you're this selfish, why aren't you confident when you're young? That's interesting. What do you think the selfish kids are confident? Or because I know, I feel like I was like kind of like a more quiet kid. You were. Yeah. And I, I think I lacked a lot of confidence. So I think the know-it-alls have maybe too much because of everything in life. They have too balance. much confidence. So maybe yeah, it was just the kids I right? Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. mean... I was definitely confident in my abilities at some level, but, you know, like we've talked about with the traumas I've gone through, like, you know, other people do a good job of giving you their, taking their insecurities out on you. And it has that like kind of, it can have that negative effect on you if you don't really sure. know who you are. Sure. Maybe when you turn 18, you, you start going out in the world more, whether you go to college or you stay in your hometown and get a job or whatever that you start to realize you don't know it all right which brings in a lower set of confidence. Then you have to build it back up again. Right. And yeah. what I'm thinking yeah. about now, and this kind of leads credence, I think to, I want to kind of use alcohol as an example where, you know, you're told not to do something and it's like, well, why? And it's like, well, it's illegal. It's like, well, why? And at a certain point as a parent, you just don't want to answer the well, why question anymore. So do you like, what am I trying to get at? Like, if you look at European cultures, they don't really have a drinking age. It's just like, right. if you want to drink, you can have a drink, you know? And I, I, I see the parallel where in America, it seems like there's a, like, there is an, there is a drinking issue we have here where it's, you know, the binge drinking, let's say at least where it's just like pound drinks, pound drinks, you go out to the bar, you want to, you know, take five shots before you go out. Like that doesn't happen in other cultures. Um, where am I trying to get at here? You know, it's like, it, it, it's almost like the, you know, how we relate in this back to kids where you're kind of like pushing back against what you're told to do. I mean, and I, I think we crossed this bridge, but I did <laughs> sneak some drinks whenever I was a kid. I'm sure you're aware of that by now. Or have we not crossed not that? Not my angel. Uh, not no, my angel. I never, no, never I mind. just kidding. That was a joke. But, but there's a point of like, you know, if you're telling them not to do it and you're not cultivating a open environment, of expressing yourself, can it not like have that pushback effect? Well, I think it's maybe what you're touching on is um, defiance, you know, because right. you're, you know, it all already. So why do you need a parent to tell you right. something different? Right. And so then how, how do we blend this in? Like, where's the connection there between, right? Because once I hit 18, I go off to college, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I have no parents to come home to. I can, literally do whatever I want. So then I think, and this is me being logical without a kid. It's like, well, where's that line between letting kids decide things for themselves at a young age versus, well, well you know, everything until you let them go. When, when you look at maybe pictures of brain development, I mean, okay. as, as I think they, they even talk that you can't safely cross the street by yourself until you're 12 years old. Okay. And so, but this probably crossed that based on. What's that based on? It's on all your senses and your brain development okay. to say how you can judge space. Is that car really stopping? How fast is it going? And 
how fast do I have to go across the street yeah, okay. to make it happen? Well, when you, you look at the difference, they say, of male and female brain development, a female's brain develops faster right. than a male's. Right. And they, they, they explain that by not until the age of like 25 is a male's brain completely developed. So it is that maybe understanding your limits and understanding um, maybe the drinking situation as when the binge drinking. Right. So I guess though the question, so then is the argument that the drinking age should be 25 or, you know, I have said that to police, like, cause I, there were a lot of fraternity order of police that would come through the building and, and talk to them. And, um, they kind of laughed at me, you know, yeah. I mean, it's I like, no, uh, and, and it really is because of the brain development. And, right. um, it's because you don't make good judgments to do that. And not that you're For 30 sure. and don't make good judgment also, but your odds of, of with a, having a, a younger body and maybe age 18 and being allowed to drink is just a danger situation waiting to happen. Right. And I guess then my next corollary though, is, is that doesn't binge drinking almost, you know, you're, you're, you're going to the extreme, right. As opposed to finding a balance where I feel like if you're a kid, let's say 10, 11, 12, you want to have a drink. It's like, all right, you can try it, right? Like, and I guess I'm kind of asking this because this is how at this point in time I would raise my kids, right? Like, this is how I would see it is like, all right, like, you know, societally speaking, you're not allowed to, but when you're here, like, we'll let you, you know, you got to take it easy. We'll like talk about how you're feeling, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, versus just, all right, you're 18, go do it. Like, because then I feel like you're not cultivating it's like, who does that kid turn to for questions? If they have questions about alcohol, if they have questions about the way it makes you feel, if they have questions about the way you think whenever you do it, the way you act whenever you do it. And then not to mention it also, I believe, and again, you know, the age is 18 to 20, you're still technically illegal, but you're in college. So you're going to be around it. You know, it's like, I remember going out to, before you go out to the bar, it's like, well, let's take four shots because we're not gonna be able to drink when we get there. It's like that like first of all that like intuitive like you're almost like pushing a lot more on yourself like does it kind of make sense what i'm saying like you're not you're not mellowing it out through the night it's just go hard go hard go hard and so when it hits your liver it's going to hit all of it at the same time well uh, i think what i'm listening to you say i think maybe the educational process has done a good job of reducing um smoking Okay. Right. So, you know, yeah. to do that, yeah. I'd say the educational process has not done well to reduce binge drinking. We'll call that sure. binge drinking because I mean, alcohol is alcohol, but I think what happens is maybe that false confidence comes when you take those four shots before sure. you go out to a bar because bars have a different mm, appeal or status than maybe just drinking at home with your parents. Well, it's a social status for sure at bars, yeah. right? There's yeah. a social element yeah. of like, which is interesting, right? You see all like the, the movies that come out or to be like, um, there's college movies. I mean, college movies right and left. And it's like, it's almost our society, our society glorifies that person who gets too messed up and does crazy shit. It's like, Oh wow. Like, look at that person. It's like, it's like, why do we, why do we kind of glorify that as being like, 
the cool guy, let's say, or why is that the idea of a successful night? If I got too fucked up to remember and I, you know, took a traffic cone and threw it across the road and did this and this, you know? Um, is it the peers celebrate that? I would say parents don't celebrate that. There's a, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> um, there's like an element of shock. There's an element of shock and awe. And if I was going to relate this to something, this is going to be such a weird correlation, but stick with me here. Whenever I would eat, I would, I would know I would, if I made like six strips of bacon and six eggs, it's like, I'm eating all this. And like, there's a element of somebody like, Whoa, like that's a lot of food, dude. Like, like that shock and awe, like would almost encourage me to keep doing it, even though it's not, I would be in stomach pain afterwards. It's not like healthy to just eat that much at one time, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's something, I guess, about shock, that shock and awe effect that makes you feel like empowered. The Coney hot dog eater. I mean, who eats. Yeah. What's his name? Like 90 hot dogs at one time. I mean, it's like, what's wrong with him? I don't know. How do you so do what, that? Why, why do you eat a pound of bacon? Yeah. I don't know. That's a shock and awe effect. Or maybe like, know. you know, wanting to be bigger, better than, um, I don't know. I don't know. To really the trophy? Go with that. Well, sure. If there's a competition, right? I mean, I'm all for. Maybe taking on the world, you can take on the Coney Island hot dog winner and uh, talk to him. Talk to him about why he does what he does. <laughs> maybe that could be a good, uh, good transition. Um, I think you're messing up that name, but we'll just let it go. Okay. We don't have to find the okay. Nathan's Nathan's out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. But maybe we don't want to plug them. Well, whatever they're plugged <laughs> now. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, cool. Well, we, what, we went through your life. We, we talked about that. kids. Yeah. There was something else we, t- we talked about in the car that I wanted to ask you about was, uh, the balance between how much, how much do you like, how much responsibility do you give a kid? Right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember this conversation? I we had? remember you were talking about that. And it's like, it? I guess the premise I'm coming from is the idea that everybody has value to add to this world. I mean, I truly believe that. So if we distill it down to a smaller level where it's like, I have a kid, you know, how much responsibility do I give him in the decision-making process of anything where we go out to eat, like what we do as a family, you know, what toys do I get him? Like, where's that balance? Because in, into this conversation started because you were commenting on how people in our, uh, around us or part, you saying people in our generation give too much uh, responsibility to their kids to do whatever they want. Well, I think there's an old saying to pick your battles right? with, with a kid. So maybe there's, there's times when going to get ice cream for dinner is a pretty good idea. Um, and there's times when it's not. And I think, um, everyone has their own style and their own thought process. Um, and there's times when you really do need to go to a, maybe a sit down restaurant and you need your child to behave. Right. Right. And, and that's a struggle. I, I think I told you at the time, I can remember being single without kids. And when they sat a family with kids down beside me, I'd be, Oh no. Yeah. You know, I'll never have a kid who cries in a restaurant. Yeah. I think yeah. every parent is like that. I mean, I you do don't that. want to. Yeah. Now, now when they cry, it's almost like I miss it, you know, because right. I don't have a little one to yeah, be embarrassed you. by. Or yeah. But see, that's interesting too, because 
Well, yeah, maybe we're kind of moving down a different rabbit hole. Well, right, but if it, if a kid's at a crying level, right, I I don't know that you can give them a whole lot of that responsibility. Well, maybe. Maybe kids can cry. Yeah. Well, I, I think it goes back to your brain development. A two-year-old brain development is quite different than a 10-year-old brain development. Sure. And so I think your sure. decision Without of a doubt. maybe, you know, what what clothes do they wear in the morning? You know, you lay out two and they pick which one they want, or do they just go in the drawer and pick out what they want? Well, that's you know? a good, that's a good segue. Yeah. Where, where would you draw the line with clothes? Is there, a, I mean, how do you judge that? Is there a specific age where it's like, I don't care. Or like you have to pick out their clothes every single day. Or is there a situation where they can pick out once they start saying, I want to pick out my clothes. You just let them. Right. Right. And that's, that's fine. what you did. Uh, to a certain extent, but then spirit day would come along and then it was pajama day. So you were allowed to wear your pajamas to school, which I found ridiculous, but really, you know, oh my word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask your sister sometime if you uh, do that. So, yeah. I mean, um, men's pajamas are maybe gym shorts and a t-shirt, right? That was my yeah, standard, yeah, that was yeah. my standard outfit for yeah. school. For yeah. girls, it's a little different. So anyways, for, I don't mean to digress, but I, I think. It's always, it's always that pick your battles to allow freedom and choice because I mean, it is their world too. And it it doesn't matter. Um, Your sister at the age of two didn't want to wear pink or anything with a bow. Well, you couldn't put it on her. I mean, she just was defiant. No. Yeah. Yeah. So she didn't wear. Well, so then you just didn't do it. Why cause the fight, right? Yeah. Well, the fight wouldn't win. Well, but what about this? Let me even analyze how you said pick your battles. Why, why does there even, are there situations where there even needs to be a battle between you and your kids? Well, if you were maybe going to a funeral and you wanted them to wear something respectful or, you know, at the time church, when we'd go to church, you had to, had to, I don't think it was really had to but you did, you dressed up. You didn't, you would never have worn jeans. Nowadays you would do wear jeans to church. You wore your Sunday best to church. Interesting. Whenever we grew up and now it's, it's just a completely different, I mean, you wouldn't have worn open toe toe shoes. So there were probably battles there, but I mean, it's, I don't know. I'd like to think it's part of growing up and understanding there's times when you do things you don't want to. Right. Right. Well, as we talk, there's a couple other episodes on the podcast, which have not been released yet. But one of them is that I no longer really subscribe to the, we've talked about this before, the ideology that there are things you have to do in life. Um, you, there are things in life that you don't like to do that you have to do. I don't think that, that I don't really believe in that anymore. I, I, and the caveat to it is that there are things you need to do that are uncomfortable or that you ha- there are uncomfortable things you need to do to get what you want, right? Like if I want to go to Brazil, I have to be anxious. I have to go through being anxious and you know, whatnot, but to know that I, to get there on the other side and know that I'll grow and be better because of it. Um, but I'm willing to do it because I know it's on the other side. And it's that caveat of, I, I want to do it because <laughs> am I losing you here a bit? No, go ahead. I'm listening. Uh, <laughs> Um, let's try to rephrase this. 
I understand. And if you haven't listened to episode two, is that it's, I it's described. I haven't, yeah, I haven't released it yet. I no, guess I'm okay. saying this as if it's okay. Cause when this comes out, it'll be okay. You know, further. Okay. So I would have heard it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the listeners okay. would have heard it, but digressing Talk your mother. That's okay. That's all right. I can <laughs> well, haven't we talked about this where Go ahead. I, but that's the case in point right there is just that I believe that there, are, there's no such thing as needing to do things. Like the idea that you have to do some things in life you don't want to do, I guess just at a fundamental level, I'm not, I don't really believe that. Okay. That doesn't resonate <laughs> with you. Well, um, and, and I'm trying I, to, I'm trying I, to draw the parallel between like kids and picking your battles. Like I don't, but, but I think where you are today is that you developed a core understanding of maybe what's acceptable in society and to be respectful of others and what, um, I mean, the world's only so big. I mean, you're going to share your space with other people. Sure. You don't want to be offending people or, um, well, it's kind of hard to do in today's society. Anything well, you do or say, which, which is, which is a problem. I mean, you need, but you need to be respectful. I mean, I would, uh, look, I mean, look how things do change. Uh, your great grandfather, when he went to, work. He wore a hat. He wore a tie. He wore a white shirt. He wore a suit. Yeah. Your grandfather, when he went to work, wore a suit and tie. There was no hat. Um, now when your dad goes to work, it's a golf shirt and khakis. I would imagine when you went to work, it was maybe gym shorts and a t-shirt. I didn't get to the gym shorts, but yeah, you could do the t-shirt with okay. just, you know, pants. But, but I also know that you're in a different field. I mean, as, as what your profession is allows you to sure. maybe not have people judge you on what you wear. But isn't that the crux of this, right? Is you're worried about other people judging what you're doing, right? Probably it's the societal impact of judgment. Maybe that's part of raising kids too. You want your kids to be well-behaved because people are judging you on what type of a parent you are. Based on how your yeah. kids are. Yeah. That's interesting. So do you think that there was things you made us do do because of the society, because of fear of how other people would judge you? Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, people don't paddle anymore, right? I was paddled a lot as a child. I thought dad paddled me once or twice. Maybe once or twice. But, yeah, but it wasn't. I don't think it would have been in public. <laughs> I don't remember being involved. I don't, I don't think people get paddled. But that's a good example though, because yeah. wouldn't paddling be like coming from a place of anger oh, and sure. disappointment versus mm -hmm. can't you just approach that same, take any issue that you could think about that you got paddled for. Couldn't you approach that with like a love and compassion point of view and it would solve the issue the same way, if not better. Well, but in the heat of the moment, you've got to sometimes do a reaction to get, attention, I guess, is, is part of what, I mean, I was chased with a, my mother was an extremely wonderful woman and very gracious and, and kind, but I can remember her running around the house after me with a pot stick. Really? Yes. Cause I was maybe teasing my brother. Yeah. Just for teasing him. Well, I was probably more than just, no, right, teasing. Yeah, I was right. probably being a brat, Yeah. Probably, you know, and how do you, if, if a child is on, you know, six years old and, out of control. You, 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 well, but again, I, I believe that there's probably like a level of love. Do you not feel like your mom could have approached it with like a, 
well, Deb, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Here's why he's getting mad. Like without just going to a place of anger. Um, it's a wonderful concept and you wish that that was the case, but sometimes you don't have that time to, to be, to be maybe, uh, thinking exactly how can you approach it to get the situation to stop. So would you, I guess it sounds like it's more of like an impulsive action. It's not like, like the paddling. Yeah. It's not like being present, right? It's probably, probably interesting. Hmm. Well, I've ran out of stuff to talk about. Is there anything you want to talk about? Were there any other questions that we had that we were, I feel like we had a couple other interesting conversations. Well, I think we always have interesting conversations, so it's always great having them. It's, it's, it's fun to see your child grow up and have a mind of their own. I guess maybe the great thing is, is, um, I know that you are equipped to handle everything that you're going to be facing and you're ready for your next adventure. And so for that, um, Pittsburgh is always your home. Yeah. And I'll find you. I mean, I got to appreciate you for you. You helped me get here. I mean, I couldn't have done all this if you didn't raise me the way you did, you know? So, you know, thank you. Hey, anytime. Appreciate it. Glad to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, before it gets too emotional, uh, I guess that's going to kind of conclude our fourth installment of Clinic of Terry Takes on the World. Uh, you know, please like, share, subscribe, comment. Um, you know, definitely do the sharing. I, you know, I don't really care about the rest. If, you know, my mom said something today that inspires you or kind of shows you a different way of being or different idea, or you've had these similar conversations with some of your friends, definitely, um, you know, share it with them. I want to get this knowledge out there and, you know, um, there's something you know for what everybody. Share? What are they going to share? What is carbon paper? Carbon paper. <laughs> if you learn nothing else, <laughs> carbon, carbon coffee, right? Carbon paper, carbon coffee. Mom, appreciate you. Love you. I love you. And thanks for, thanks for taking time out of your day. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, you know, at the end of it, thank you. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, let's grow together. So, uh, I'll talk to you guys soon.